shack, let's just say that a uh, snake bit your mom right up here, right in the chest area. Would you be willing to suck the venom out to win the title? No, but I will with your wife. hope we can win a game. And we're in here talking about practice. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Hello and welcome to the Pick and Roll Podcast. I'm Bill Golden. Alongside me, as always, is Kevin McLernan. This is going to be a little different Pick and Roll Podcast from what we usually do. We've uh, finally given in to our, our temptations, and we're going to do uh, and dedicate this podcast completely to the four uh, major Philadelphia sports teams, uh, Sixers, Flyers, Eagles, and the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, we come to you as Philadelphia sports fans in one of our darkest moments in sports history uh, as far as the success of our franchises go. And that's saying a lot. Uh, the Philadelphia sports franchises have struggled, all of them, for most of their history. We're a very... Uh, we don't have a lot of winning uh, in our history in Philadelphia, but right now, in these past few seasons, and even looking into the future, it doesn't look too bright. Um, but Kev, it's been a while since we did a pick and roll podcast, uh, and uh, I guess uh, I've, I've been doing well. And how, how have you been? Yeah, like you said, brutal time for Philadelphia sports. But quick note before we get there, I just want to give a shout out to your two basketball colleges you knew that when you went to South Carolina and Miami that you'd be going to two basketball uh, colleges ranked in the top 25 how, how do you feel about that uh, it's it's unbelievable man I, I would have never imagined that this would happen for South Carolina uh, I kind of feel torn about it because when I came to the University of Miami uh, I knew that my football allegiance would always lie with the University of South Carolina. Ironically, the two had played in a bowl game uh, the first year I was in law school at the University of Miami, and there was no question that I was rooting for the Gamecocks. I kind of figured that South Carolina basketball, even with the addition of Frank Martin, would never really get to be that good, uh, where they'd be ranked in the top 25. So I always figured that my basketball allegiance would lie with the Hurricanes. But something about watching these Gamecocks play and the fact that they're ranked in the top 25 is unbelievable. And let me just take that and, and take it a step further. Uh, it's a totally amazing to me, and I actually hadn't thought about it or realized it until I was on the phone with my dad. The two girls' teams at the University of South Carolina and the University of Miami are also both ranked in the top 25. So all four teams between the two universities, all four basketball teams, are all ranked in the top 25. Now, obviously, uh, South Carolina girls is still undefeated. South Carolina men's was also undefeated. They got to a combined record of 30-0. and 30-0 and before South Carolina lost Alabama a few nights ago. Unbelievable for the school. Uh, and a, a big shout-out to South Carolina's women's basketball program. They're doing something there that's so impressive. There's only 12 men's teams, 12 men's basketball teams, that put more people in the seats than South Carolina's women's team. Uh, that's an amazing thing that they're doing for women's sports. Uh, I hope that they continue to have great success. But it's unbelievable to have all these, all these great basketball teams. I'm loving every minute of it. Well, I didn't realize uh, that many people attended the the women's games. Did you ever attend a game when you went there? I did, uh, and they've always had better crowds than the men's. Uh, their crowds this year are the biggest they've ever had, and I didn't know that either. I didn't never thought 
that that would be the case. Now, South Carolina does play in a pretty big stadium. It's slightly smaller than where the Sixers play. Uh, I think a couple thousand less seats. So it's a pretty big basketball arena for a school that doesn't have a lot of good basketball history. Now, we've had Alex English play at our school. We were a number two seed in the NCAA tournament, which we don't talk about because we lost to Coppin State in the first round. So we've had our, our moments, but this is uh, very big for the school. And I'll tell you something, their crowd is not just there and present. Uh, they are a uh, they're, they're very uh, enthusiastic crowd, one of the more enthusiastic crowds I've ever uh, been a part of. It's unbelievable uh, the passion that their fans have. And even with the men's selling uh, a lot of tickets this season, probably rivaling the women's team, um, the passion for the men's team is just not even close to the women's team. They're a very passionate fan base. Uh, and, the, you know, it, it really reflects the way that the team plays as well. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, it's it's great to see because it's something you don't see every day at every college. Um, usually, uh, women's uh, basketball is very unattended. Um, even the Penn State team is very good, and um, they they don't get a lot of crowd. I mean, it's much better than the men's team, but I mean, nobody goes to the men's games at Penn State, so that's not saying too much. Right, and I, that's the thing that the women, even when the men were bad, were still selling out. So it's not a result of uh, the men having success and that bringing, you know, light into the women's or them playing similar times has nothing to do with that. When I was there, the men were not good at all. As a matter of fact, they were bad. And the women's crowd was still amazing, and there was a lot of people in the seats. But it's it's truly special for them to be able to sell 15,000-plus seats uh, on an average game. Uh, but, th- you know, the brand of basketball they play is very entertaining, and uh, I think it speaks to the fans, uh, their knowledge about the game of basketball, because when you talk about women's uh, basketball, there's no dunking. Uh, there's not a lot of flashy fadeaway jumpers and all those kind of things. It's, it's more of a pure game um, where there's not a, a big discrepancy in height um, for the most part. Obviously, there's outliers like Brittany Griner. But for the most part, everyone's within a couple of inches, and it's more pure basketball. And, it, and the, the passion that they play with and the way that they execute, is, it's awesome to watch. And I think people really appreciate that part of it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It, it, like like we're saying, it's great for the women's game, and um, I mean, ho- hopefully, it can keep growing. And uh, every school, uh, I mean, obviously, not every school is going to put that many numbers uh, of people in stands, but if it can keep growing, that'd be great. Yeah, I think when people, you know, TV is a big part of it. If they can get more on TV and people can can see, and I think when you see a crowd that big and hear a crowd that loud on the TV, it it, it will change people's attitude and perception uh, of of women's basketball in, in general. But um, just to keep it uh, in the in the arena of basketball and, and transition kind of nicely here to to what uh, this podcast's uh, true meaning is supposed to be about. Let's let's move along uh, to talk about first uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, another bad season, I guess in some ways as far as the wins and losses are, are concerned, certainly the case. Uh, in other arenas, uh, not, so, not so bad as far as what we hope the future is going to bring. Uh, and I think uh, <laughs> it was just like the ultimate Sixers game. I think it was just their last game that they played against the Chicago Bulls in which they led for double digits and even I think 20 more, more points for a Big, 24 points they were up. Yeah, and that was for most of the game. And in the ultimate Philadelphia 76ers fashion, uh, at least this team we have right now in Philadelphia, uh, they blew it at the end. Brutal to watch. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that game, but, man, I mean, you just knew it was going to happen. So they played well in the first half, I think had a 17-point lead um, going, in, going into halftime. And, uh, I mean, 
I just never felt confident in that lead, and it happens every game uh, watching this team. Even when they have a big lead, you, you just know it's going to be a close game, and they're, I mean, most likely going to lose. Yeah, and it's twofold. Because the first part of it is, and I didn't watch the game, but I had been following it on uh, my phone and I was texting my dad. He was watching the game. And so I was kind of paying attention to it on the side. I was watching something else. I can't remember what. But um, my expectation the whole time, even when they were up 24 points, was that they were going to lose the game just like you. So there's that part of it. And there's also this sad part of me that wants them to lose. And I feel so torn about that because I, I don't root against them. And I, it, I, it's not like I'm rooting for the other team. But I just kind of hope that something will happen and they'll lose the game because at the end of the day, winning doesn't really help us in the long term. And I know it's good for the kids' confidence and all that, and that's a part of it too. But every win brings us closer to, or I'm sorry, brings us further away from having the biggest chance when it comes to the lottery. So it's it's one of those things you're torn about. But I'm with you. I mean, no part of me thought that they were actually going to beat the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's like we said, it's just typical of this team. Uh, the acquisition of Ish Smith has really helped this team. Now, I mean, before they got him, they weren't really competing in the games, and, and since they've got him, they've won three games compared to the one game that they won before him. Um, and they've really been in uh, basically every game since he's joined the team, so it's definitely helped the competitiveness of the team. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think the Sixers are kind of, the organization is kind of, uh, building him up to be something that he's not. I think they're trying to take it a little bit too far, but I can understand that they're trying to deflect some of the the focus that's on them, you know, losing so many games and having so many losing seasons in a row. I'm kind of excited about him too. I think that there's a lot of potential there. Um, he's really good right now. He's been amazing in the past couple of games, like you said. He's really helped them be better this season. And he looks like he might be somebody that we could keep around. And he legitimately, when I look at this team, I think he's starting to be someone I might actually believe could be a starter in the future. Yeah, I mean, um, I would assume that point guard is going to be one of the positions that they, they go for uh, in this draft. But, um, I mean, he, he's potentially the way he connects with Nerlens Noel, especially in transition. Um, I've been really impressed Um and especially just the way he's been leading the team. I could see him as a starter in the future, um, but I I just know they're going to go for a point guard in the first round this year, and, and he's going to have some competition come next year. Yeah, and, and competition isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, you're right. I agree with you. The Sixers are going to have to go for a guard at some point. I think that with the early picks, um, the two ones that we're going to have, which would be, I think, us and the Lakers. Is that right? We get the Lakers if it's not in the top three. Hmm. So the Lakers are the second-worst team in the NBA right now. So depending on the lottery, the Lakers may keep that pick. Okay, and we also have the Heat and the Thunders picks. And I know they're protected, but both teams are much better. Like, they're not going to be protected. Both those teams are going to make the playoffs, and we're going to get this pick. Okay. So we're going to at least have three picks in the first round this year. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so anyway, so if the Lakers do end up in the top three, we only end up with our own pick. Uh, in the lottery, then I, I think we have to go for the best player available when we get to that position. If that means drafting another big man, I'm okay with that, and we can move somebody and try to trade for a point guard maybe that's already in the league a couple of seasons um, because it's going to be tough to build with a with a rookie at point guard, I think. Uh, but you don't necessarily need to start start that person. You can always have Ish start and let the rookie come in behind him, all, all that kind of different stuff. But 
Um, in a competition isn't bad, like I said before. You know, if you have Ish and uh, Rookie competing, you're, that might help the team as far as making both guys uh, a little bit better. But you brought up Nerlens Noel. I've been pretty happy with what we've seen this year from him. I think a lot of people are disappointed. What, 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 how, what are your feelings on him so far this year? His offensive game it still has a lot to go. Uh, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. But um, I have seen progression, I'll say that. And um, definitely on the defensive end, he, he keeps getting better. My problem is that uh, Brett Brown doesn't feel confident about starting him or playing him and Julio Okafor at the same time at the end of the games. And um, those are your two highest draft picks right now on the team. And uh, they got to figure out some way to play together. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest criticisms right now. One thing, one thing I will say though is that I don't really care about Nerlens Noel on offense. And I think there's a lot, there's too much focus there. When we drafted him, at least personally, I didn't expect him to do anything on offense ever. I don't care if he does. I don't expect it out of him. That's not his game. His game is predicated on defense. I'd like to see his block numbers come back up closer to two like they were last season. I think he's rebounding well, although I'd like to see him in the double digits there as well. Um, And he's playing almost 30 minutes per game, so I don't think it's unrealistic to expect double-digit rebounds out of a second-year player of of his stature. Uh, He's averaging over 10 points per game right now. If this is a good basketball team that he's starting on, he shouldn't be averaging that many points. He's not supposed to get the ball. I see him more as a Ben Wallace than anything else, just a defensive player who gets rebounds. Um, but as far as the whole Jalil Okafor and Erlens Noel thing, I'm frustrated because I think we just need to throw them both on the floor and, and let them figure it out. We don't need to win right now. I don't care if it doesn't work and it looks bad and it, it doesn't work out right now. But like you said, those are the two biggest pieces on our team right now. So you need to throw them out on the floor and let them figure it out. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been really impressed about Okafor. Um, I mean, he re- has really worked on his jump shot. I think he shot maybe 57% from the free throw line in college, and now he's shooting, uh, I think, 70% more than or better than Nick Stauskas, um from the free throw line, which there, there's a promise with that. But, um, I mean, 70%, uh, I'm really impressed. Uh, the way he's uh, – he, he shoots fadeaway shots, too. Um, all around, I've been really impressed with Okafor. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, I mean, I, I thought this kid was going to be good, but he's already great. Um, he, you know, he's averaging 17 points per game, uh, getting seven and a half rebounds. Th- this is this is more than you could have asked for out of a rookie. Obviously, he's he's playing a lot of minutes for rookies, playing 30 minutes per game. That probably leads rookies. I could be wrong about that. I know talent is playing a lot of minutes, but you know. Uh, and the thing, like you said, the shooting is unbelievable. I, I knew that he was going to have a good post game. I knew that it would translate because he's fundamentally sound. But, and, you know, the footwork is great. But the shooting, I'm with you. It's unbelievable. Uh, he's shooting a good percentage from the floor. And I like that he's taking these shots from outside, from the elbow. He does uh, the bank shots kind of like uh, Tim Duncan-esque kind of stuff with the bank shots from kind of near the baseline, uh, facing up on guys. Uh, he's a little quicker than I imagined him being. He's actually beating guys on occasion, not blowing by them, but he's able to get around people on the dribble. And part of that has to do with the size. But he's really impressed me. I couldn't be, I honestly couldn't be any happier with with what he's done so far this season. Well, what are your thoughts on TJ McConnell? I mean, I, I, I mean, he gets a lot of minutes. Uh, I'm surprised he's playing over Kendall Marshall, though. But I mean, I could see him as a bench guy. I can't really see him when this team is actually good. Him getting a lot of minutes. 
Yeah, I mean, I think most people were surprised this year when he came in and played as well as he did. I'm surprised, too, that Marshall's not, you know, getting the more more playing time than him. But I think uh, part of it has to do with that McConnell was, was there already and he was playing so well. And I think Brown's rewarding some of that. Um, and I think that's deserved. And I think that that's the right way to coach this team right now because we're so young. I think um, allowing people's effort... Uh, to translate into playing time over skill sometimes. And that's not usually a formula you want in the NBA. I mean, this is not CYO basketball. This is, you know, the big-time stuff. But because this team is is built, you know, for the future, and right now we're worried about, you know, grooming guys, I think it's nice to reward the guys uh, on the team that are working hard in practice and show a lot of effort and hustle on the floor. I don't necessarily agree with you. I mean, I guess it depends on how many minutes you're talking about. I mean, how many minutes are we talking? Because I'm thinking that I'd really like to have McConnell as a guy that comes off the bench and plays, I mean, not a lot of minutes. Hopefully we'll have somebody really good at point guard that plays like 30 minutes. But I could see him playing 10 minutes as a backup just as an energy guy. Yeah, I was thinking maybe 5 to 10. Uh, I mean, well, he does some good stuff. Um, he's never really going to break it down. Uh, it, it seems like he does the same things. Uh, so teams may catch on to that. Um, but that little jumper from the baseline, he really seems to like, and um, he, he he seems to do a lot of the stuff that Ish Smith does. Just he's not as athletic. So um, I I could see him getting five to ten minutes, like you said, energy high off the bench. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because Ish is obviously a more talented player. So if we go out and get a point guard that's going to start over Ish, then yeah, I, I don't even think McConnell will be on the team because I don't think you carry that many point guards, and if he is on the team, he'll be down on the bench, and I think it's a wasted spot to keep a guy like that down on the bench, because his skill is, he doesn't really have a lot of skill, he's, that's not the kind of player he is, like I said, you know, I think he's the energy guy, he's a spark plug kind of player who comes in, he scraps, and my comparison, and maybe I'm totally wrong here, I kind of see him as like Adela Vadova, a guy who comes in, uh, who's we want to be just a scrapper energy player who also, if you're playing really good point guards like Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving, somebody who can come in and just kind of stand next to them and bump them and just run around and overall just kind of bother them, even though they're not really that quick or good, that good at defense. Yeah, and I mean, like we're talking about somebody that they might bring in, which if they potentially get that Lakers pick um, outside the top three would be Chris Dunn, uh, the point guard from Providence. Um, I'd be very happy if they could get Chris Dunn with yeah. that Lakers pick. Um, and that, that would be a potential. I mean, I, he would definitely be a starter over Ish Smith if they got him. Yeah, me too. I really like him. Um, I think he scores a little bit too much for my liking. But, uh, you know, you can always change that. Hopefully you could be able to change that mentality. He's not even the leading scorer on his team, though. So. Well, I, I know they, they, they have that that duo still. But I... I He's, I mean, he's still averaging more than 15 points per game, is he not? Yeah, I think maybe 17 points per game. Yeah, so. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. in college, that's a, that's a lot of points. And I understand that, that there might be somebody on his team scoring a little bit more than that. But, I mean, that's more than most point guards probably in, in college basketball. Um, so, but... You know that that kind of stuff can change. Uh, you can you can change that. I just that's just per, that's and again that's a personal preference for me from the point guard position. I don't really like guys that are score first, but obviously it's working for certain players. Namely, and the biggest name obviously would be Steph Curry, who is a scoring first point guard. And look what he's doing and the Warriors are doing. So I guess that kind of nullifies my entire point. But that's just a, the preference thing as far as basketball goes. But yeah, I mean. I'm with you. I like what McConnell's doing. He's nothing more than a uh, energy bench player, but 
again, like you say, if they go to get somebody else, he's probably not going to find himself on the team. And if he is, he's just going to be a bench warmer if we keep Ish Smith around as well. 17.9 points per game for Chris Dunn, along with seven assists and 6.4 rebounds. So uh, if you can keep averaging that through the Big East season, that'd be very impressive. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, that's all hypothetical. And, of course, if we got – our dreams. I think we would agree that pitchers get Ben Simmons and then Chris Dunn both in the top four picks. Yeah, that would be ideal, clearly. Um, whether that means that Simmons plays small forward or we bring Sarich over who plays small forward and Simmons starts at power forward and then we have to move somebody, I'm okay with that. Uh, hopefully Embiid's going to come back too. Um, now we're really dreaming. But that's that. I think that's where you are with the Sixers right now. Uh, part of that's the when you look at the Philadelphia sports thing. I know I said that this is some of our darkest times, but the only light at the end of the tunnel in any of the four teams that I see, I see one light at the end of four, there's four tunnels. There's only light at the end of one of them, and that's the Sixers right now. And that's and Bede's healthy. We get Simmons, we get Dunn, or somebody else that's really good. And next year we win 30, 35 games, or maybe I, I would hope at least thirty games next year, and start to work towards building something. And then the hope you cross your fingers is that they they all get better together, and eventually they they decide to stay with the Sixers, and we can see something eventually down the line. But I, of the four tunnels I'm looking down right now, that's the only one I, I see light at the end of. Yeah, and I mean it's that's tough to say just because they're so bad right now. They're four and thirty-seven, so halfway through the year. Um, on pace for eight wins, which would be a new league record, worst eight wins, uh, breaking the old Sixers record of nine wins. So uh, it, it's tough to be a Sixers fan right now. Um, but like you said, there's definitely we, we can see the light, and um, we're not necessarily moving towards it right now, but we can definitely see it. Yeah, and, and it's it's tough because the Sixers haven't been good for so long. We had a couple decent years with Allen Iverson. Um, but I think there's no point in there, and I could be wrong, that anyone really believed that the Sixers were a championship-level team. They only made the finals once, and after a heroic performance by Allen Iverson in Game 1, they got you know beat four in a row after that by a far superior basketball team. Uh, honestly, that whole thing has so much nostalgia surrounding it because of the, the incredible performances night in and night out in the playoffs. Iverson basically carrying that team on his back. Um, but, you know, when's the last time? Honestly, it's been so long. I don't think at least as early as 2000, which is about as early as I can remember, all those the last 15 years plus, it's just been total. Honestly, with the exception of the excitement of Iverson, it, we haven't had anything with the Sixers, and we still don't. So the only way to look is, is forward. There's nothing to look back on um, proudly, and so <laughs> that's where we're at right now. But I agree. I think, you know, we can look – even on a team that's 4-37, and 37, like you said, that might have the worst record in NBA history, at least we can look at it and say we have a lot of young talent, we have a couple draft picks, and hopefully between the talent that we get out of the draft and we have now, we can either keep it and move forward or make a couple of trades and, and be good in a couple of seasons. And for everybody that questions Tinky, I mean, almost everybody wonders uh, sometimes what he does. I mean, I can give him credit for winning every every trade that I've seen him make. He, I think he gets the best part of the trade, um, and I think it's either this year or last year's first round pick. Uh, he got back um, from the Magic um, because of that um, Andrew Bynum trade that we traded Iguodala and Dwight Howard. Um, the Magic had our first round pick, and we got that pick back. And I'm not sure whether it was protected or not, but either way, 
um, it just shows you that we really needed that pick back because the Sixers have been so bad, and it's, it's a very good pick. Yeah, I, I I know that I expressed a lot of frustration uh, beginning beginning the season, but I, I you know I've come to grips with the the facts here, and that's that. Um, I can sit and watch in frustration and kind of question what Hinky's doing, or I can, you know, start again. I think we did this a couple of times now where each year we hope to get better and we don't, and then, you know, halfway through we kind of quit on that idea and look forward and just say, okay, hopefully next year, hopefully next year. At some point there's a there's a breaking point. I don't know where that is. I thought it would be this year, but obviously people's patience is still is still there with him. And I, even my own, uh, I'll admit it, I, was, I think I was wrong about uh, where I – where I think I would have felt where I am right now. And I, I'm okay. I'm patient again. Um, I just, I can't imagine another year like this next year. I, I just, I think that'll be too much. It's frustrating to watch. And uh, all we can do is hope that MB comes back. Um, and I mean, they can all, Sarge comes over. Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely been frustrating to watch. Another, another point I just, Thought of when I thought about that trade again. We were together when the Sixers made that trade. Weren't we in Long Beach Island um, when when the Sixers traded for Andrew Bynum? And I remember your dad telling us it was an awful trade, and we didn't want to believe him. Yeah, and I mean, the thing was that it, that I think there was so much focus on Andrew Bynum. I think that was what the, where the focus was was at, and I think a lot of us didn't see what was going on underneath. And I think that's the brilliance of Hinky, like you said. They do. On the surface, some of the moves he makes, like trading Drew Holiday, at the time seemed to be bad or make no sense because everyone seems to focus, and that includes myself, that on the big names in these in these moves. And what they don't see is what Hinky sees, which is, yeah, we might have to deal with some BS right now, but down the road, this is going to pay off. And he always has the bigger picture, the longer road in, in mind, and I think that um, everybody, including myself, when we look at sports, we always look at the the short term, which is why at the beginning of the season I was frustrated again. And I think, like I said, that's Hinky's brilliance is always, no matter what the move is, he's always looking forward, not in the not in the now. He knows that, look, we might take our lumps right now, but you know, in the future, it's going to pay off. And he's been right so far, like you said. Well, I mean, he's definitely somebody that looks forward. I mean, in that two thousand. 14 NBA draft, which was supposed to be the best draft in, what, 10 years or so. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Joel Embiid. Only three guys from the first round have not played. No, four guys drafted in the first round have not played in the NBA, and two of them were drafted by the 76ers. So, uh, I mean, it was the plan that Sarge wasn't going to play. Um, but Joel Embiid uh, was the second one, and then – the, the two other guys were drafted 27th and 29th. So uh, compared to that third overall and 12th overall picks, it's it's kind of frustrating uh, with that such good draft um, that neither one of those guys have played a game in the NBA so far. Yeah, and again, I mean, that's what that's why what we have to do when we're trying to analyze Hinky is that we, you have to give him the time. It's kind of I don't know if he had this all in mind at the time, but there's no way to judge him right now because of those things, like you said. First of all, we have one more draft coming up, and that's been a part of his long-term plan to get these three or four picks this year in the first round between ours, like I mentioned earlier, the Heat and the Thunder, which you say that we're definitely going to get probably, and then the Lakers, if they fall outside of the top three, we might be able to get that as well. So we have to give him that. 
And then, like you just mentioned, you have to allow Sarge to come over because he was a, a high draft pick. And, of course, Embiid, we knew immediately he wasn't going to play. And, honestly, I think, like I've said over and over, I think they've been keeping him out because there's no reason to rush him back. So you have to wait until he comes back and plays. So a part of it is that he, as frustrated as you want to get, and you can claim that whatever about Hinky, but it's kind of hard to judge him because he can say, you know, this is all part of my plan and it hasn't, hasn't unfolded yet. So until... We see these draft picks next year, and until Sarge and Embiid play, the jury's you know still out on him, I guess. Well, well I mean, Hinky has full control uh, over the Sixers right now. Let's go to another Philadelphia team that Chip Kelly has full control over, and no longer uh, is Chip Kelly in Philadelphia. What was your first reaction to this? Thank God. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can agree. Uh, I was very happy that he was leaving. Yeah, I mean, I was um, one of the few people in Philadelphia who was very angry when we fired Andy Reid. I thought it made no sense. Um, I still don't think that it made any sense. Um, I understand that uh, things were going a certain bad way. Uh, I know that we hadn't made the playoffs, I think it was four straight seasons. We hadn't either been in the playoffs or won a playoff game, maybe. Uh, I think it's won a playoff game. Four and twelve in his last year. Right? Yes, and I listen. I understand all of that, and obviously there was talent on the team uh, when uh, Chip Kelly came in. That he took basically the same roster. I mean, there was a couple moves maybe, but and we went I think uh, ten and six the next year with almost the same players. And uh, listen, I get all of that, um, but he had down years before one or two and always bounced back. And uh, look what he's doing in Kansas City uh, with a team that was horrible. The year before he got there and he turned it around. And I get that there's something to refreshing uh, the team and the organization, putting a new face to it. But I think there was other things that Lurie and other people in the organization could have done. Maybe take some power away from Reed or maybe, um, you know, fired some other coaches or something else that they could have done to shake it up and kept Reed. When you have a guy that has that much success, I don't think you get rid of him. Uh, that's just that's just personally me. And I think the Eagles are... A perfect example of that because we had much more stable success under Reed, even with the last couple of bad seasons, than we had over these past three years, which has just been one good flash in the pan season, another decent season, and now we're just we're in shambles. Well, they fired Chip Kelly and they they hire uh, Andy Reed disciple. Uh, I'm sure you're happy about that. Um, Doug Peterson um, is expected to be named the head coach as soon as the Chiefs lose in the playoffs. If they do lose. Um, Maybe they'll win the Super Bowl. Andy Reid gets gets what he wants. Um, but uh, Doug Peterson uh, was a former, I think he was the former quarterbacks coach for the Eagles. Uh, so he knows knows the team. Played a season in Philadelphia. Uh, well, we, I'm I'm sure you were happy about this, right? No, this is a horrible, no. horrible, horrid hire. It's we are we are like a laughing stock in the NFL at this point. I mean, we had gained so much respect as an organization, even though we hadn't won any Super Bowls, and we're just a laughing stock. I'm laughing. Uh, it's embarrassing. We we got the guy that nobody else wanted. Um, we didn't even interview some people. I think we called Hugh Jackson last minute as he's signing the papers in Cleveland. It's just it, it's embarrassing. I don't think that. Uh, first of all, what I want. What I want is to, for Lurie to sit down and look into the camera and say that he did everything, and he didn't. I want him to sit down and say, I called John Gruden. I flew. I went out to see him. I talked to him. I talked to Bill Cower. I talked to anybody else, a lot of people. Who did he actually talk to? Tom Coughlin, who's 69 years old, who, who actually the Giants made a mistake in letting go of. But I think 
and I totally believe this. I don't think this is a conspiracy theory. I think the Giants were looking towards the future, thought there's not that much time left with Coughlin anyway. We're not doing that great the past couple seasons, which, by the way, was his whole MO. They had bad seasons, and then they won Super Bowls. That's what he that's what he did in, in New York, but they wanted to prevent McAdoo, or however you say his name, from coming to Philadelphia, which is what Philadelphia wanted. So, honestly, when it gets down to it, Jeffrey Lurie has always been a terrible owner. I don't like him. I wish he wasn't the owner of the Eagles, and he did another terrible job in this coaching search. Nobody else wanted Doug Peterson. No one, no one called him. I'm pretty sure that ESPN and every other outlet that's a national outlet has called this hiring horrible. It's just it's terrible. I don't want an Andy Reid disciple um, just because I want Andy Reid, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, I mean, I, maybe you feel differently, but that's where I stand on this whole thing. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, I'm, well, I don't agree that it's necessarily a bad hire. I agree that uh, they should have looked at more guys. And I'm really surprised. I didn't hear anything about Sean McDermott coming in. Not that I necessarily wanted him, but uh, I thought they should have given him an interview. Um, former defense coordinator uh, for the Eagles and now has done a great job in Carolina. Um, but it, it's just, Tough. I mean, I, ne- I didn't necessarily want Hugh Jackson. I definitely didn't want Tom Coughlin. Uh, I didn't feel like that would make any sense to him coming to the Eagles. But I don't have a problem with Doug Peterson at all as being the new head coach. But I do agree with you that they should have done a little more work. Or it didn't seem like they did a lot of work uh, in the hiring process. What's, what's even worse about this is that we fired our coach first, and we ended up with the guy that was sitting there last. That, I don't understand how that works. How do we fire our guy? Which, first of all, you don't fire somebody in the middle of the season if, if the, if, unless the only reason is to start looking for the next coach, which means start reaching out to people as soon as you're allowed to do that. I don't know what the limits are in coaches, but I don't think there are a lot of them. Uh, it's not like with players and stuff. So, you know, how, how do you fire a coach early with obviously the idea of let's jump ahead of this thing and let's go get our new coach, and then you, you, you end up with the last guy standing? That's the part that, that's even more frustrating for me. Honestly, I want a chip gone because I think that he was ruining our organization. I mean, look what he's left us with. But I'd much rather have Chip Kelly back next season than, than just have gone through what we just went through. We, we, we ended up with a coach that, okay, maybe you want him, and maybe he turns out to be okay. That, that's a possibility. I understand. I'm not excluding that. I'm not throwing the guy to the wayside now. I don't, I don't know. But my point is, you, you just we embarrassed ourselves throughout this whole thing. And I mean, I believe Chip Kelly was even hired again before we found a new coach. I just, it, it's bad. It bothers me that, that this is the way it went down. I think there's something to, um, you know, looking a certain type of way as an organization. And we just, we just, look, we just look like a bunch of idiots, honestly. What do, you, what do you think about Chip Kelly and San Francisco? I assume they're going to sign Colin Kaepernick. And I mean, that's the quarterback that basically Chip Kelly has won it since he got to the NFL. Uh, a mobile quarterback, um, he'll be able to run his system. I mean, San Francisco isn't necessarily a good team, but I mean, what happens if this works out in San Francisco for Chip Kelly and uh, he just needed that kind of quarterback? Does that look bad on the Eagles again? I mean, I think it looks awful on them that they unable to get that quarterback. Chip Kelly traded for a quarterback. Um, if he has success in San Francisco, it looks even worse for the franchise. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, the thing is that Chip Kelly was in charge of personnel, so it's not like the Eagles kind of prevented Chip Kelly from getting the quarterback that he wanted. So, I, I honestly, that's the part that most uh, – why I was so angry with Chip uh, by, the, by the end of the season was the fact that he was the person in charge of the personnel. Okay, so he was the person who got rid of all these players. That's why I'm angry. 
We don't have Jeremy Macklin, Deshaun Jackson, and I'm okay with not having LaShawn McCoy because of what we got in return. And you can say what you want about Kiko Alonso, but for me, the jury's still on him because of the amazing rookie season he had, and he took a year off from football. And our defensive coordinating literally, and I mean literally, could not be any worse. Okay, we're only not the last-ranked defense in the NFL because we have so much talent that you can't, even a fifth grader couldn't F it up to make it the worst defense in the NFL. But Billy Davis tried, and he did a pretty good job of it. But... But as far as any personnel decisions and that making Chip Kelly or the Eagles organization look bad, no, that's that's on Chip because Chip was the person that was moving the pieces around. If he has success out there, it wouldn't surprise me. I think, listen, there's parts of Chip I really like, and that's the coaching part. I think he has a brilliant offensive system that will work with the right players in it. And it did work in, in 2012, I guess, or 2013, his first season with the Eagles. And his second season wasn't half bad. It works with the right players. The players, ironically, th- that he got rid of, the quick ones, Deshaun Jackson um, and Jeremy Macklin at receiver, quick receivers, and a scat make you miss back like LaShawn McCoy. Those are the guys that make this that system work. I think he's going to do well. I think his whole health thing, the way that he um, trains players and all that, and I think the best thing that could have ever happened to him was getting fired because I think his head's going to shrink a little bit more, and he, he's going to be better off for it. I think he'll have success in San Fran. Not immediately, because the roster sucks, but when he's able to get some players there that can make that thing work, I think he's going to have success. I really do. Well, I mean, that, that's good that the roster sucks, right? He can't get rid of anybody. I mean, he, he got rid of all the talent yeah. here in Philadelphia, <laughs> but there's, there's nobody except basically yeah. Navarro Bowman on that defense. Uh, everybody else has been gone and, and left. Uh, I, I kind of felt bad for that defense. Everybody either retired or, or left. Um, that they really didn't stand a chance this year. And Tom Sula, um, I mean, I don't even know, really know how they fired him. He didn't really uh, stand much of a chance with that team in the one season. But um, I'm sure he'll get another job somewhere. Oh, yeah, I mean, let's just just a quick side note real here, right here real quick. Uh, it bothers me that the way that coaches are hired and fired, I, I've always ranted about this. But the NFL – the, there's three firings that have no justification to me at all. One of them you just mentioned in Tom Sula. What was he supposed to do with that roster? That there's that roster is awful. How did they even win a single game? They're, they're not good at all. Blaine Gabbert was their quarterback this year. I mean, it, that's just that's just not right. Uh, secondly, how did the Titans fire? Um, who was the Titans coach at the beginning of the year? I can't even think of his name right now. Ken Wisenhunt. Yeah, how yeah. does how does he get fired? Mariota is injured. I think he had one or no games with Mariota, and one one. Mariota had a four touchdown game week one, so I know he had at least one game. Okay, right. So he has a great game. The Buccaneers, who you're probably going to talk about next too. They get they get they he gets hurt. Then they lose a bunch of games with I don't even know who their quarterback was. Okay, it's just that's not right. That is not right. How can you? Uh, 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 it's the same thing when you have the roster like that. It's different when it's Chip Kelly because Chip Kelly controls the personnel. These guys aren't controlling the personnel, so it's not their fault that the the team has no talent. You have to at least give him a chance with the quarterback. And the one chance he did get, like you just mentioned, he had huge success. And then yes, you're right. The third mention, the third coach that I'm going to mention here. It's just it's. Absolutely not right, especially this guy is a veteran who proved that he can be a good coach and took a team to the Super Bowl, and their quarterback is, is escaping me right now. They had a horrible quarterback at that time. Rex, Rex Grossman. Grossman, yes. He is horrible, and he took that team to the Super Bowl. I don't know how you win six games with a rookie quarterback when you won two the year before. You went from two to six wins with a rookie quarterback, and you get fired. I don't get that at all. And by the way, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't know how you feel about this, but would you have rather the Eagles hire him than Doug Peterson? 
Um, well, I'm, I'm going to hit your first point first because uh, I think that they were afraid they were going to lose. I think they hired their offensive coordinator as the head coach, correct? Yeah, I, I know there were some rumors, kind of like the Giants Eagles thing, that he was going to go to Miami. Yeah, so I think that. Well, um, who did Miami hire actually? Um, what? Why is that? Go ahead, continue your point, was, and I'm going to look that up. I forget the guy's name right it now. Was, it was Adam Gates. The, ah, uh, yeah, the Bears coordinator. Chicago. Yes, yes. So I thought they hired him before um, the Buccaneers fired Smith. But either way, um, I think we agree that they basically fired Smith because they were afraid they were going to lose uh, their coordinator. So um, I personally would rather have Peterson over Lovey Smith. No. What? Um, okay, I'm not going to like disagree with that, but what is it that – why is that the case? I think Lovey Smith has been a good coach with a good defense, and it's going to take a while. Like you said, the defense right now is awful. And um, they, they need they need to get players on that defense and work on the offensive scheme, uh, which I think Peterson. I mean, look what Peterson has done uh, in Kansas City with that offense. I mean, last year they didn't throw a touchdown pass to a wide receiver. They went 16 games without throwing a touchdown pass to a wide receiver, and then this year they get a decent wide receiver in Jeremy Macklin, better than decent, but uh, and make the playoffs. Have won 11 straight games. Um, lost Jamal Charles, and, and they've still succeeded with Spencer Ware and Jark Hendrick West. Um, I, I think he's done a great job with that offense. With Ryan Matthews, DeMarco Murray, and Darren Sproles, I, I think he can do tons with this offense. Okay, but here, here's the thing. Okay, and I guess there's, this is twofold. First, I like Lovey because he's defensive-minded, and you're right. The defense is really good in Chicago. I'm not going to deny that. That was the reason that they were there. I get that. So I'm okay with you saying that. And that, you know what, I, I can't disagree with any of that. Here's the thing I disagree with Doug Peterson. I don't think he had anything, and I mean anything, to do with the Chiefs' success on offense. And that might be ignorant to say because he's the offensive coordinator. But I remember when Andy Reid was our coach. And he was 100%. I don't care who was the offensive coordinator. He called the plays. He did everything top to bottom. He controlled everything. And I think the credit on for their offense goes to Andy Reid in Kansas City. I could be wrong and maybe I'll be proven wrong when he gets here. But to me, when Andy Reid is in charge of a team, he's in charge of the offense 110%. He controls everything. And I think uh, the the reason they had so much success was because of him. That's that's just me. I think he controlled Alex Smith and put confidence into him and told him, look, this is what I want you to do. You just do these X and Y things. Um, And they did the typical Andy Reid thing. They throw to tight ends. Uh, their running backs have a lot of success, and a lot of that has to do with, yeah, they, they have good backups. I, I get that. But if you've run four or five different running backs or three or four, whatever number it was, different running backs with that success, a lot of that has to do with, A, good offensive linemen who know how to run block, and B, it's scheme. And Andy Reid's always had success running the ball and running screen plays because he has good offensive linemen. He puts them in the right spot the right spots, and he knows how to scheme well, being an offensive, former offensive lineman himself. But I could be wrong. I just think that Andy has more than I, – I, Doug Peterson obviously might have had something to do with it because he is the offensive coordinator. I can't deny that part of it, but I just think it, it, it falls all on Andy's shoulders. I really do. And I was watching the Chiefs game last week, and it was just a typical Andy Reid play. It was third and one, um, and, and we've seen way too many of them in uh, – his time with Philadelphia, third and one. And he does this weird pitch that is pitched about five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and the running backs did no chance. And, uh, I mean, I think that's partially why, uh, a reason why uh, 
Andy Reid was eventually fired from Philadelphia. I mean, those types of plays just frustrated Philadelphia fans. He was a great coach, but um, it's, it's the little things that he did like that on third and one. Uh, I felt like he never just ran a play right up the middle. And, yes, it's predictable, but um, I felt like Andy Reid tries to overthink uh, and out the other curse sometimes. Yeah, well, listen – I understand that, and that's the that's you know that's the argument against Andy Reid, and I, I get that. But there's only one Bill Belichick, and so everybody else, and and Belichick is is not perfect, but he's darn near it, okay. And everybody else has flaws, there, but Andy Reid's a really good coach, and yeah, he has fatal flaws. I'm not going to deny that he runs some asinine short yardage plays. He's struggled in short yardage his whole coaching career. I agree wholeheartedly with that. He's also horrific, and I mean absolutely horrific, and it's amazing because he's been a head coach for so long at clock management. I mean, it is, it is horrible. I don't know why he can't either A, give the reins to somebody else in that regard, or B, learn from your mistakes. Um, so, yes, there's always going to be criticism of guys, but every coach in the league, Sands, Bill Belichick, has flaws that, you could argue are fatal, but you're not going to get Belichick. There's, you know, I feel like everybody out there is running around looking for Bill Belichick. Well, guess what? There's only one of them. You're not going to get him. Um, and maybe one, another one's going to come along, but you're not going to know it. The Browns didn't know it when they fired him. So it's just one of those things. Um, you know, guys have flaws. But just to clarify earlier, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did fire Lovey Smith, and then two days later, the Dolphins hired Adam Gase. Um, okay. Yeah, so, and the only reason I, I know that is just from the Miami radio. That's just something that I would know because of that. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, I don't really care about the Dolphins. Why didn't, I mean, talking about the Patriots here, why didn't the Eagles talk to Matt Patricia at all? Uh, I mean, he's the defense coordinator of the Patriots. He's done a great job. Um, I, I felt like teams, every team uh, that was looking for a head coach uh, should have looked at him, and, and nobody really seemed to interview him at all. It's amazing, and again, I think it's the um, the pressure uh, of of now. It's the same kind of thing we talked about with the Sixers. Everyone's looking at right now. So when you fire a coach, you get under this microscope where it's like now, now. We want a new coach now, and you know, no one wants to have patience. I think Matt Patricia probably, and I heard all these rumors. Oh, they might interview Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia. I wasn't buying it because I don't think that a Belichick wants his coordinators running around the country in the middle of the playoffs focused on anything but that and I don't think his coordinators are willing to do that but um, you know to not extend or at least try uh, to get those guys is, is bad and I think they should should have waited until if you have to wait till after the playoffs or after the Super Bowl I, I'm willing to wait I want to make sure we get the right guy and like I said you know maybe Peterson works out but that's another point you know it's just that they just didn't interview enough people and you can ask that about a lot of people. Why didn't they call this person? Why didn't they call that person? I agree with you. I mean, Matt Patricia has done a heck of a job. Uh, he's he's worked under Bill Belichick, who's as you know the best in the in the business. And I agree with you. And he's defensive minded, which I which I love. So I, I don't know. It it it, blog, it boggles my mind. But I mean, like you said, it, there's other teams who also didn't interview him. So I really don't get that. Yeah, I mean, he's been part of the Patriots organization since 2004. Um, started as offensive coaching assistant. Then assistant offensive line coach, linebackers coach, safeties coach, and now defense coordinator since 2012. So, uh, been with them for a long time um, at different positions. Um, I mean, I mean, at one point you said that you were upset the, the Eagles. I didn't mean to necessarily take so long, but you said they got they were the first one to fire their guy, and they were the last one to hire him. But then you said they should wait. I mean. Uh, is it just because you're not happy with the Peterson one because nobody else wanted him? Because you can't really wait sometimes because everybody else 
it's so quick to hiring everybody else. Right. What I'm what I'm saying is, if you have to wait for a better coach, then you wait. But my my anger was not the fa- was not that it was that they were the first one to fire and they got the last man standing. So if you if there's only let's say that there's only ten eligible coaches and you're the first to fire and you hire the tenth guy, that's what bothers me. But if you are in the position where you don't want the first nine guys, don't hire the tenth guy. Wait until the season ends to hire a better guy if that's Matt Patricia or Josh McDaniels or a coordinator from a different team. That's my point. But I Well, I, not Josh McDaniels. Please not Josh McDaniels. Okay. I mean what I'm just saying, you know, that that's I, I understand the the conflicting, but my point is if there's only ten guys, you can't be the first to fire and then hire the tenth guy, which I think Doug Peterson is. I think he's the last guy on everybody's list, which is why he wasn't hired by any of the other teams that that's my point if they wanted somebody else that didn't get hired by a different team that's another thing but it's not like on day one they called Doug Peterson if they had called Doug Peterson on day one I wouldn't be angry do you know what I'm saying so if you have to he's, wait he's to, the first one that I heard they were talking to though him and Adam Gates are the, the first two names I heard when uh Chip Kelly's fired okay but and, and I guess Sean McDermott too those, those are three right so but that, that was like the last time I heard Sean McDermott Right, but I mean, maybe I I missed this, but I I personally didn't hear about Doug Peterson until very recently. Have been have they been thinking about this since the beginning, since they fired Chip in week whatever it was, week fourteen or whatever? I mean, that's 15? that's what I've I was as soon as I was back in Philly, so I heard in the radio uh, them talking about Doug Peterson basically as soon as Chip Kelly is fired. Okay, I mean, if that's the case and that's the guy that they wanted, then then that's fine. But for me, again, I'm not going to let up on my point that it, it says something to me if nobody else wanted him. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And my point is that, you know, you if you can't be the first to fire, get the last guy out there, or basically let other people hire who they want to hire and not get one of those guys unless you're trying to get a better guy. And that's fine if you want to wait for somebody like a Matt Patricia, but... You know, there's the competition in the beginning to get the guys that are available to talk to. And if you want one of those guys, then you better go get them. And if you're not, then... It also says something about the organization, too. What do you mean? none of those guys wanted to come to Philadelphia. Yeah, well, yeah. That's true. If that's the case that they were looking at, Adam Gase and... um, I mean, that was the main guy that I heard that I'm talking to. So, I mean, if he... um, And Hugh Jackson, I mean, chose the Bengals if they were talking to him. I don't know, he chose the Browns, sorry. So if Hugh Jackson chooses the Browns over the Eagles, that's a big problem. Yeah, I, I think it is. And again, I think I could be wrong about this also, but I'm pretty sure they didn't reach out to Hugh until uh, like the last minute when he was already signing with Cleveland. I guess maybe I misspoke, but my, my point was, my, my point about the hiring process is that there's a list always of guys that are up next to coach. And so I at least want you, if you're the first team, if you are the first team to fire, you should be talking to all of these people and get an idea about what you want to do before. But if your guy that you really want is the is a guy in the playoffs that's a coordinator that you have to wait for, then that's okay and you can wait. Don't settle for somebody else. That was that's what I was trying to say. But you know, when you're the first to fire, you need to talk to all these people before everybody else does. You should be the first person to get in a room with them, all of these people. And I don't care whether you think you would like them or not. That doesn't cross my mind. What crosses my mind is these guys are up next. This is a consensus among uh, NFL pundits, uh, analysts, former players, and other organizations around the league. So if these are the guys next up, you should be talking to them. I'm not saying you have to choose from them, but why aren't you at least talking to them? Why aren't they in a room with Hugh Jackson from day one? 
that's the kind of stuff that bothers me because I feel like we settled here. Do you know what I mean? Even though, and, as you're saying, they could have been had Doug Peterson on the list from the beginning. Then why didn't they just hire him from the beginning? Because nobody else hired him in the in the couple of weeks that it took us to hire him. You know what I mean? So it has that that feeling that they settled. Yeah, and I mean, like you like you said earlier, there's a bunch of guys that are analysts now. Uh, John Gruden, you mentioned who, in my opinion, is one of the most overrated coaches ever. Uh, I'm glad <laughs> they didn't interview him. And he's not going to come back to coaching because. He, he won a Super Bowl with a team that Tony Dungy built, and he beat a team in the Super Bowl that he that he got traded from. Um, so, I mean, in my opinion, uh, he, he was handed a great defense, and they won him the Super Bowl, and therefore he's one of the most overrated coaches ever. Wow. That's a really hot take, man. But don't forget that he went to Oakland, and, and it did a pretty good job with that team. And don't don't credit the Oakland organization for get, getting rid of a guy. And then that team, by the way, if you want to give Tony Dudgeon credit for the Buccaneers, you got to give John Gruden some credit for the fact that when he got to the Super Bowl, he feasted a team that he was just coaching. There's some credit due... Go ahead. Next to a former St. Joe's Prep uh, quarterback throwing, what, five interceptions? Okay, but Rich Gannon was NFL MVP, and John Gruden, his defense was the team that made the NFL MVP look like an idiot in the in the Super Bowl by throwing yeah. five interceptions. Yep. All right. Yeah, that's, I mean, like I'm saying, that, that defense was great. Okay, but look, here's the thing, and this is my thing with head coaches. I think for me, the reason I like John Gruden so much and guys like Bill Cowher and why Mike Tomlin's one of my favorite coaches in the NFL, there's an attitude and a toughness that these guys have and they bring. First, one part of it is, yeah, I like the defensive-mindedness, but it's football. There's a certain way that it's supposed to be played. There's a certain toughness about it. There's a certain attitude you take towards it. There's no BS with John Gruden. There's not going to be players yapping off in the locker room. There's not going to be guys doing dysfunctional things. You're going to have a tight run ship, people doing what they're supposed to be doing, and everyone's going to be giving 100% all the time. Um, I'm not going to try to build John Gruden up to say that he's like this amazing whatever, but I think that there's something about the way that he coaches. And he had success in Oakland and in Tampa Bay. And you could say whatever you want about who built what and who did what. I'm just saying he won a lot of games at both those places. And, I mean, uh, would you have been happy if the Eagles hired him? Yes, that was number one guy on my list. He was the number one guy on my wow. list. I, okay. We have we have a soft attitude here with the players in this city. You know, I I want a toughness. I want the, the old Jim Johnson, Brian Dawkins, that kind of, we're going to hit you in the mouth. We might lose by 20 points, but you're going to limp off the field because we're going to hit you in the mouth. You know, right now we have we have guys like Byron Maxwell who who doesn't want to tackle anybody, and and these other players who just there's no toughness, there's no there's no attitude of, of we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna mess you up, um, and it's not about hurting guys or any of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just the, uh, just a toughness, attitude, a confidence, a cockiness, and I think that guys like Gruden and and Bill Cowher bring that kind of attitude, and that's that's what I want uh, out of my football team. So we should uh, we should sign Vontez. Perfect, right? But see that see that's that's okay. I think there's some sarcasm. I'm hoping in that. That's not what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. Okay, all right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's how you you, you can get confused in that. And what he's doing is an absolute disgrace. Uh, and the, you know the NFL, frankly, should take a tougher stance on him. What he's doing on the field shouldn't be allowed. You want to talk about the reason that so many players are concussed? It's uh, some of that is to do with purposeful targeting. 
Some of it's incidental. I get that. And some of it bothers yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, the Antonio Brown was not intentional, in my opinion. No, I don't think so either. I don't think he – I think on that play, the problem is he has a history. So people look, look at all these other plays. Yeah, I get all the other plays. But he's not trying to hurt someone in every play of his career. That's a bang-bang play. Was he trying to hit Antonio Brown hard? Yes, he was. But I'm okay with that. The guy's coming over the middle trying to catch the ball. He doesn't know if he's going to catch it or not. So he should hit that player as hard as he can. Not to try to hurt him, but to make sure he doesn't catch the ball. He didn't lead with his helmet. He led with his shoulder. And it just so happened that the only thing sticking out was Antonio Brown's head. I'm with you. But the other play from a couple weeks ago and some other plays throughout his career, I mean, he just, it's, you know, it's bad. Oh, yeah, he definitely has a history. But everybody's reaction to that play, um, it, it also didn't help that uh, Pac-Man Jones claimed that Antonio Brown winked at him, which he apologized for because Antonio Brown is missing the game this weekend. Yeah, well, um, well Pac-Man is always, you, could, you know. You could, tell, you could tell that, that, I mean, as soon as he got hit that he was out. Um, but the reaction of everybody saying that it was a dirty play, I just, I just don't agree with that at all. Yeah, and again, it, like I said, I mean, I think we agree. It's, it's just this history that people are basing this off of. And yep. when it comes to an individual play, I don't think that's fair. Now, if it's unclear one way or the other, and I think it's clear that he was not intending to be uh, like be dirty on that play. But on plays where it's unclear, I can see erring on the side of he's a dirty player, therefore it was probably a dirty hit. But on a play like this where it's clear from the tape that he wasn't, you know, wasn't dirty, then, you know, I th- but again, people, it's just the, his history, and I, I get that part of it, too. All right, well, <laughs> we've gone past part of the Eagles, and yeah. let's finish with, um, give, give the Eagles a grade uh, for the hire of Peterson. What? You're saying for the hire itself? Yes, for the hire. It's an F. Of Doug Peterson. It's an F. F. It's an F. All right, I'll, I'll give him a C plus. <laughs> um, I won't give him an F, but I'm really surprised. I mean, you don't think he'll bring any of Andy Reid's attitude to the Eagles? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, again, for me, it's. I guess maybe, again, I'm being a little ignorant, and you're giving the benefit of the doubt, which is fair, and I'm not really being fair to Doug Peterson himself. Uh, what, what, what makes me want to say F is that – uh, the whole process, the whole thing, and how bad we look because of it, and the fact that I feel like we got the last guy standing. Uh, but okay, so if it's I'm, more of the process rather than the actual hire. You're y- getting that. Yes, yeah, but nothing about Doug Peterson really excites me. I mean, and it didn't excite any other teams. I don't think anyone else in the NFL wanted him. So <laughs> there's that. Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay, let's uh, uh, go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say let's move on to the Flyers. Yeah, let's let's do that because I I uh, I need to calm down a little you're, bit here. You're, you're done with the Eagles. Yeah. I can tell. <laughs> tired of talking about them and John Gruden and Montez Perfect. You, you just had enough. Yes. Uh oh, oh yeah, we'll move to the the Flyers next. Um, had had a rough patch, uh, but then had a three game win streak. I think four now. Yeah, four game win streak now. Um, Still behind, uh, but they've only played 41 games compared to everybody else who's played a couple more. Um, going to need to keep that win streak going to make the playoffs, but uh, made a big trade a couple weeks ago to get rid of. Um, I mean, of course, they always trade with the Kings um, to get rid of one of the Shens. Luke Shen gone. Um, what, do you, what do you think about that trade? I mean, they're obviously getting into two guys that. Um, add depth to the Kings and get uh, basically a draft pick back. Uh, we traded them a cone. That's what we traded them. Luke Shen is a cone. 
He's not a defensive defenseman. He's not. He's a cone. And it was a great move. We dumped some some cap there. That neither player was really helping us. It was, I th- I like the move. You get some picks back. I, I like it. Uh, they, they weren't helping us either one of them. Uh, I actually have high hopes for this Flyers team. I kind of like them. We could use some help probably on the defensive end. We have a young, great young prospect in what who everyone is calling Ghost Bear, the Ghost. Uh, he looks amazing when he's running the power play. The power play has been on point, which, by the way, is the biggest problem with the Flyers right now. But let's let Ghost Berry came back either today, I think, to play the Rangers or playing the Rangers right now. I'm not exactly sure if he's playing or not. He was supposed to return today. If not, he'll be back shortly. So we we'll see how the power play turns around right now. They're 29th in playoff play percentage in the NHL. That's a problem. And they're 28th in goals per game. So the offensive production is not there. But I think one part of that was the trade away of Scotty Hartnell. That really hurt, uh, and I believe we got Umberger back, who's another cone. I don't, I don't understand that trade. Literally, it blows my mind. I don't get it. And Hartnell's doing a good job over there, but I, I have faith in Claude Giroux, uh, Voracek, and Wayne Simmons. I think the three of them, and Wayne's not a powerhouse, but I think the three of them will produce enough of offense eventually to keep this going. If Ghost Bear can run the power play the way he was doing before he got hurt, I think the Flyers can be okay. Um, and the other question mark is goaltending because right now we have two guys. Newverth is second in save percentage, and you have Steve Mason who's been up and down and all over the place. Sometimes he looks great, sometimes he looks horrible. So if we can get one solid guy in the net, you know. But the thing with the NHL and the reason I have so much hope for the Flyers is getting in the playoffs in the NHL is everything. That's the whole equation because then if you have a hot goalie, you can do the whole the whole dance. And I think that's the key. But getting there, like you said, they're they're right there, and having played less games, so in a good position. But they've had some rough patches this season. Two two right now against the Rangers. Uh, Ghost Bears back. Simmons and Braden Shen scored the two goals. So um, that'd be a big win against the Rangers. Um, of course, beating Lundqvist anytime is very good. Yes. Um, th- thirty-two shot or thirty-three shots now. Uh, two goals and thirty-three shots. So. Um, I mean, continuing this win streak, like we said, they've only played 41 games, so uh, they still have a couple to play with, but they need to get into that into the playoffs right now. And you said, I mean, once you get in, Steve Mason, um, who I feel like is, is the better goalie and who they're going to go with in the playoffs, uh, if he can get hot, they got a very good chance uh, of advancing. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't have a negative view of this team at all. Um, they're not great. Best team in Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's not even close. I mean, it's not. They don't even just be. They don't need. They don't need to have their name dragged down with the rest of them. They don't. We just, you know, they are. They are a good team. They're solid. Um, there's a lot of youth too, especially offensively. Like you just mentioned, Braden Shen. Uh, as of late, Sean Couturier has been playing a lot better. Um, so we'll see. Those guys just need to produce goals. If they do that, I think the defense is is average. And that's all we're going to need if the offense can produce and you have the hot goaltending. But it remains to be seen if they can get into playoffs. I mean, obviously, I think we both agree that's the whole equation. You get in and you have hot goaltending and you see what happens. Um, but the goaltending situation is bothering me because, you know, Newverth has been playing so well and it's just a weird situation. But I agree with you. I think Mason, at, when he looks his best, is he's really, really good. If he can just do that consistently, maybe it's confidence. I don't know what it is, but... Um, that's going to be key. Obviously, goaltending is always key in the playoffs. Um, so that's going to be the big thing for them uh, going forward. But I, I like the core they have right now. If we can use the next couple of draft picks to get guys like Ghost Bear, I mean, he's really good. But maybe some other people um, who can come in on defense a little bit younger and try to help us, and we can get rid of some of these cones. 
Um, like we just got rid of. Um, I've, I've been upset with Matt Reed. I thought he would. Yeah. I mean, he played uh, well in his first two seasons, I believe, and just hasn't progressed as well as I thought he would. And I mean, if he could do that, I mean, his team would be a lot better. Uh, but he just hasn't, I guess, become the player that I thought he was going to. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel the same way. There's a lot of frustration with him. And I think that's that's part why I'm not really down on the Flyers and I'm really frustrated because there is a little bit of underachieving. You can point to a couple players. Some people even want to point to Claude. I think that's uh, a little much. And I've talked to some people who know a little bit more about hockey, and I think that they also agree it's a little much right now. But there's a lot of youth here, and I think that if it if it can translate into something, if these guys can all kind of – uh, get a little bit better as time progresses and come into their own, uh, this team could be really good. So right now we're just kind of hanging in, but at least they're not a bunch of old guys, you know, who are just kind of a- are average. Right now we have a lot of young guys who are kind of average, so there's hope. And it's not like, like you said, they're 19 and 15 and 7. So they're well over 500. They've been playing well as, uh, as of late. They're right outside the playoff picture. So they're, they're good and they're young. So I think that's why I have a lot of hope for this team right now and, and in, the, in the future. So, I mean, hopefully they can get this one. Only a minute left in the third. Um, do, do you think they get into the playoffs? I mean, obviously tons of time left, only halfway through the season. But, uh, I mean, uh, the way they've been playing, uh, I see no reason they shouldn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I, I can see them uh, possibly going two or three rounds. Yeah, I, I think this team should make the playoffs. I'll be disappointed, definitely, if they don't. Um, again, this is my confidence in the youth that we have. I think that eventually at some point, even Matt Reed and the rest of these guys, even Claude, who I admit has had not the best season, um, I think eventually these guys will start to click and start putting the puck in the net. They're struggling. Like I said, they're 28th in goals per game. But go spare back on the point, and, and I think in the power play, and I think everything will kind of come together that way. Because, like I said, our defense is average. They're going to stay there. If the goaltending, obviously that's going to be the part that determines how far they go. If the goaltending's hot, they could go far. If it's not, they might exit in the first round. But I'm with you. I think that this team has a lot of talent, and I think they, they have the ability to go deep if, if they have hot goaltending. And, I mean, we may be a little biased just because it's of the only team that we have any hope for. Yeah. So um, it, we may be overthinking your potential, but mm-hmm. hopefully not. Uh, I mean, like you said, uh, I mean, the, the youth uh, and the way they've been growing this season even. I mean, they started off pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the way they've even gotten better this season really shows hope um, for this team in the future and for this season. Yeah, I mean, as as, as dark uh, as, you know, the whole the whole city, the sports thing looks in the city. And, I mean, I you know, just to, just to metaphorically say, you know, we're, the Philadelphia as a whole, as far as sports go, we're standing at the edge of the bridge. And I think the Flyers are that one team kind of keeping us from jumping. It's, it's that team that we have a lot of faith in because right now they're decent. You know, when you look at what we'll talk about the Phillies in a second, the Sixers, there's, there's hope for the future, but they're bad right now. And to have a team that might be make it to the playoffs, I mean, you could do the, the Jim Mora playoffs thing right now when it comes to suggesting any Philadelphia team, but uh, it would just be amazing for the spirit, uh, the sports spirit of the city if the Flyers can make the playoffs. I mean, it really it would do a lot, and it sounds silly, but just making it, I think, would do a lot for the city. Yeah, and you mentioned the Phillies. We'll move to them now, um, who I'm actually really excited about. Um, I, I think they're, they've really gotten a, a solid pitching staff together, um, 
added with the addition of Mark Apple, um, a former number one overall pick. Um, so, I mean, put him with Aaron Nola, that's two very young guys uh, to start bringing, bringing a core together. And uh, I'm excited to see them play this year. Yeah, uh, I'm excited for this Phillies team. I think part of that excitement uh, comes with the fact that all the other teams are, aren't, aren't that exciting, even though we just talked about the Flyers and the possibility there. They could turn into an exciting team. Right now, they're not. They're average. But So there's a lack of excitement, especially with the Eagles, which is the big sports team of the city. Uh, let's just, you know, there's no two ways about that, I don't think, personally. Um, so the, the lack of excitement right now kind of builds up to the Philly season once the rest of the season's end and and everyone's going to be excited for this new Phillies team. I think it's going to be disappointing because they might still have one of the worst records. Of ba- they definitely will have one of the worst records of baseball again this year, maybe even the worst. Uh, but again, a, a lot like the Sixers, I think this team has a lot of good young talent. I think management's done a good job. Thank God we've gotten rid of Ruben Amaro. And I, I, I look at the Phillies and I think the future's bright, but it's, it's down the line. It's not, it's not soon. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to build a team like the way the Cubs and the Astros did, who we saw succeed uh, through all their young guys and through their draft picks. Um, both teams quicker than everybody thought, too. Nobody was expecting those two teams to make the playoffs this year. Um, and and if, if the Phillies can do anything like that, um, hit on their draft picks and continue to, to grow them through the minors and bring them up uh, and keep them together, uh, I mean, that's, that, that's the way you want to do it. Yeah, I think um, we don't want to have the expectation, like you said, of the Cubs or the Astros, but it's nice to look at those teams and say, wow, it's a possibility. If everything comes to fruition, we could be them, and we could be them soon. And I'm not going to deny that. I just The reason I say I think it's far in the future is because I like to try to have a more realistic uh, approach, but don't don't get me wrong. I definitely look at those two teams, and in the back of my head, I have my fingers crossed and hope that we can do that too in two or three seasons. And that's a possibility. There's there's no doubt about it. But I think the Phillies are very impressed with the, what they've done. It took a while, and I think a part of that was Ruben Amaro's mismanagement. But where we stand right now, I think we're in a very good place. And then uh, they bring in uh, his name slipping me right now, but uh, former. Uh, assistant GM for the Angels, I believe, um, and now he is the GM, takes over for Ruben. Um, and, of course, as soon as you get that, you hear all the rumors and all the hopes about as soon as um, Trout becomes a free agent that they're going to try to sign him. Of course, he's from uh, New Jersey, grew up a Philadelphia fan, um, but I don't see him leaving the Angels anytime soon or that, them letting him go. Uh, to free agency anytime soon. Um, the guy's name, I didn't know this. I just looked it up um, since you mentioned it. Matt Klentak? I don't even know how to say it. Yep. Be perfectly honest. That's it. Um, and he's only 35, so um, there's there's some excitement that comes along with that. But yeah, just to touch on the Mike Trout thing, I believe that he will come. Uh, I have a... Yeah? Yes, I think um, he's not... There's a lot of players that are like, yeah, I really like that team. They're my hometown team, blah, blah, blah. I think that his love for the Phillies is very deeply rooted. Um, I was told he by... He also love because he's always wearing Eagles stuff, too. And he, he, yeah. I've seen him at a couple games. He's a big Philadelphia fan. Yeah, like he is big into like this, the whole sports Philadelphia sports thing. 
Um, so I, I, that's what makes me think that he would want to play. Like I think he's that's his dream is to play for the Phillies. So I think a big part of this process right now is to make us make an attractive team. Um, because at the end of the day, no matter how good these guys translate to be, still need some superstar power usually to to get over the top. Now that's been proven wrong probably with the Royal what the Royals just did because I don't think they have a, a true above and beyond superstar. Don't get me wrong, they have a lot of really good players and some great ones. Um, so it's possible to do it without, but you it, it you know obviously Mike Trout might come become one of the best player baseball players of all time. That remains to be seen. But um, I just I was told by someone who works in the Philadelphia Phillies organization that the first time he came to Philadelphia, he actually asked to do his press conference um, against the Phillies and not the guest backdrop. And that sounds silly, but what that is, is that's a kid who is showing that his true dream is to play for the Phillies, not just to be in the MLB, but to play for the Phillies and be a Philadelphia Philly. And I don't think that's going to die as long as the Phillies have the money. Um, now, baseball's funny with how they're able to keep guys, so I don't know exactly how that works. Um, but as long as we have a decent team, a good team, and we have the money, I am a firm believer that Trout will come play in Philadelphia. Well, he we signed a six-year extension for 144 mil. Um, that was back in 2014. So, right. I mean, he's not coming anytime soon. Right. Um, 2020 would be uh, the next time he's a free agent if they don't, if he doesn't sign an extension before then. So, um it's going to be a long time if he does, but I mean, like like we say about all these teams that we're looking for any kind of hope, and of course Mike Trout, um, arguably the best player in baseball right mm-hmm. now, uh, big Philadelphia fan would bring that hope. Yeah, I mean, when I look at the four sports, um, and I look at the bigger picture, what I see in the next few years is just utter disappointment. And I know I talked very hopefully about the Flyers, and what's funny about hockey is they could always make a run. So I don't. I, that's not out of the equation for me, but the Sixers are years away. I'm being realistic. They won't contend for a championship until three or four seasons from now. Same thing with the Phillies. The Flyers, I'm not sure about. Maybe they could make moves, or maybe these young pieces, you know, come to fruition. But that's going to require a really good goaltender, and I'm not sure Steve Mason is that person. So that might be a requirement as well for that to happen. And uh, the Phillies, the Phillies, the same thing. But with the Eagles. I see the next few years ending in, in disappointment as well. Um, I don't know why I feel that way because there's a lot of talent here. Just something tells me that. Um, I guess that, that I don't really have an argument to back that up because, like you said, you have a guy who was under Andy Reid and the the positive way Is to look about it. talent here? Yes, there's a ton of it. You have, you have DeMarco Murray. You have Darren Sproles. You have Ryan Matthews. Okay, which you can move one of the two of those pieces if you need to get receivers. I think Jordan Matthews yeah, is. And a, they all play the same position. That's uh, the problem. I understand that you have a really good tight end in Zach Ertz, and I think you have a really good second tight end, and he's his name is escaping me right now. Who's the backup tight end? Selleck. Yes, he's still really good. You have two really good tight ends. You have a. I think Jordan Matthews is a good number two receiver. So that means you're missing a number one. And the offensive line is it has some holes that need to be plugged up. I'll admit that. And then the defense. The defense is loaded with talent. Malcolm Jenkins is still really good. I have to believe that Kiko's going to come back next year and be better. Benny Logan, Fletcher Cox, Cedric Thornton. The defensive line is as good as it gets in the NFL. Um, now, you have a problem with uh, Byron Maxwell because he's not really a number one. 
But I think if you design the defense the right way to to give him help, I think he can still be an asset. He was really good as a number two in Seattle. He's a good corner. There's no denying that. Now, maybe he doesn't belong as a number one. But let's be honest with ourselves. There aren't a lot of number one corners out there. I still believe Byron Maxwell's a really good player. I just think that he was ISO too much as other corners were. And I don't, again, I blame our coordinating because I, I do believe there's a lot of talent here. I still believe in Michael Kendricks. Um, D'Amico Ryans is getting a little bit old now. Um, Walter Thurman, I think he did a decent job at safety. I believe in him as well. So, yes, I do believe that there's a lot of talent here. And when I look at other NFL teams that aren't in the playoffs, I think we're better than most of those teams. But those are the teams that aren't well, in the playoffs. So, Good news for Philly fans is that this is probably the last year of Ryan Howard, right? I mean, yeah, can't pay 25 mil this year. Um, after this year, he has a $10 million buyout. Um, so, I mean, we, that, that's been the problem with the Phillies. I mean, you can't sign big-time free agents when you don't have any money left because you're paying Ryan Howard and Chase Utley all the money. Well, let's, let's not fool ourselves either because after 2010, let me think, 2010, probably 11 or 12, it was over. So forget about the money because even if Ryan Howard and Chase Utley had small contracts, there was no way we were going to be able to attract free agents. And I know money talks in baseball, it really does, but I just don't buy it. Um, and I could, again, I could be wrong. I just don't buy that anybody would be intrigued or uh, attracted to come here. And uh, the only players we have been able to do that with is is pitchers. And the thing that bothers me with this Howard situation is Ruben Amaro really messed this up in more than one way because now Ryan Howard's entire legacy is ruined. And and I really mean that. I think it's ruined with Philadelphia fans, and it's not even his fault. Who doesn't sign the contract that was put in front of Ryan Howard? How is that his fault? It's not. And we all have been waiting for him to go. And instead of getting a massive uh, standing ovation, which I'm sure he'll get, but and, and so much gratitude and just looking on him uh, with the way that we should, the way that a lot of people look at guys like Chase Utley, but even him, his legacy got tainted a little bit too because he hung around for a long time. But, you know, it's just a shame because we owe him so much, even with all the strikeouts and all the rest of what people want to complain about. We didn't get where we were without him. You can say the same about Chase and other players, but it's just a shame because it's going to be a big sigh of relief more than anything. And that's, to me, that's very sad because he's one of our sports heroes for sure. Yeah, I mean, basically everybody on that team uh, that brought a championship, first championship in what, 25 years yeah. um, to the city of Philadelphia. Um, so, I mean, until another team wins, we're going to remember those guys. Um, I mean, we're always going to remember them, but, uh, I mean, they're going to be everybody's idol uh, just for bringing a championship to the city that other teams have fought to do for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, we love Allen Iverson. Uh, I think people have mixed feelings about Donovan, but we can safely say that people uh, love Brian Dawkins. Um you know, people uh, love some of the Flyers players we had, although Eric Lindros people feel some type of way about. We had some good other players that people have strong feelings about, but there's something Tyler different. Owens, everybody yeah. loves him. <laughs> but there's something different about, like you say, that they brought a championship. When you when you mention, uh, you know, Shane Victorino, even someone like Carlos Ruiz uh, and Pat Ryan Barrow. Howard. Yeah, these those names, they mean something different, and I think there's more of them that you name, even guys like I said, like Chooch, who honestly would fall by the wayside when you talk about sports heroes, but he becomes one because he brought the championship. And that's that's Philadelphia sports because we don't get a lot of championships. Um, we had some good years, early 80s, but it, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen for us. You know, the Eagles only have 
uh, one since 1960, and I think that might be their only one. And the Phillies only have two ever in like a hundred and some years, and the Flyers only have a few, and the Sixers I think have have three. So three, it's just yeah. yeah, and and if you combine all the years that the Philadelphia teams have been around, it's it's sad. Um, so I guess that's why we feel so strongly about those guys. And what people outside of Philadelphia don't realize, because I mean, they they remember the the team that had Oswald. Uh, Hamels, Halliday, and um, and Lee. I mean, but that wasn't the team that won the World Series. Right. The team that won the World Series just had Hamels. He was the, the top pitcher and the only pitcher on that team, really. I mean, he, he was the MVP um, of that team. Um, and, and, I mean, when people look back, um, it, it's tough to actually think that that's the team that won rather than the team with those dominant pitchers. Yeah, you had, for a while there, the four aces, and I think the Phillies won 100 games uh, one of those years with those with those aces. And obviously, I mean, that makes sense. If you have that kind of starting pitching, it's kind of hard to mess that up. And we also had the lineup to go along with it. I mean, those teams are really good. And, you know, I think a lot of, when you look back on those Phillies times, there's a lot of disappointment. I personally don't get that disappointed losing to the Yankees, but following it up by losing to San Francisco and the Cardinals and uh, slowly but just... But Hideki Matsui was the MVP. That's what gets frustrating. Yeah, well, I mean, that's true. Uh, I, uh, I'm i not going to... If it was gonna... A-Rod or Jeter and somebody else in the Yankees, Teixeira, I would have been fine with it. But Hideki Matsui went off and killed us. Yeah. I, I mean, that's true. You're right. Um but I think, you know, and, and and that's fine. And a lot of people are disappointed by that World Series and what followed. And it was just like a, a slow grinding decline. Um, and it, it it was sad because we, like you said, we had all those pitchers after the fact. Like we won the World Series, like you said, and it was Cole Hamels. Uh, now, some guys had stepped up. Brett Myers uh, was decent for us. And Jamie Moyer was a great story. And uh, everyone came together. I mean, but we had better teams after that. And it's, it is sad that we weren't able to to make that work. Yeah, and it's also sad that we're talking about teams in the past, right? And yeah. talking about their future because that's just how frustrating Philadelphia teams are right now. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's where we're at. And um, as much as we're having nostalgia about the Phillies of, of of old, it's, you know, one year really that they won the, the championship and they had a couple of good years. And, I mean, that was the height right there, I think, right there between, I guess, like 08, 09, 10, 11, because the Eagles were still pretty good then. Uh, they went to the Super Bowl around then. I think the Flyers went to the Stanley Cup in 2010, maybe. Um, so, uh, yeah, obviously... We, it was our graduation day. Right. Our graduation from high school. They were playing the Blackhawks. Right. And and the Sixers had a couple of good seasons, if I remember, I think, with... Um, with uh, let me let me say this right, NBA Finals MVP Andre Iguodala. Um, yep. Yes. Yeah, so we had some good years in there. Uh, they weren't great, but um, they were like I think at, at a time with Iguodala, they were like the worst team in Philadelphia. And I mean, wouldn't we take that now? <laughs> now they would be like arguably the best team in Philadelphia. So, uh, but that's that's it, man. Like I started this podcast with, like you know it. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. That's 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 Philadelphia sports. That's our history. We we lose. We have the losingest franchise ever, and. Um, I think we had, and I probably still have, between the four teams, the worst combined uh, winning percentage of any of the other cities with four major sports. So it's just, it's pretty bad. How, how many How many cities, uh, I mean, do you know the answer to, how many cities do have all four? I don't, I don't know. No. 
something we'll look up for next time, I guess. Yeah. Um, now LA, now LA is one of those. So now that they have a football team again. Yeah, it's amazing that that's the case. Um, but I think the real shame here is the fact that you have to think that Miami has four sports, and that means that Philadelphia is underachieving Miami in sports. And um, you know that's just that's bad. That's beyond bad. Let's let's be honest. I mean, the Marlins have always been. A horrible team. They had a couple World Series teams somehow. No one's really sure how that happened. Uh, and then you have the Panthers, who actually are really good this year, but normally are very bad. Uh, the Heat, who under Pat Riley have been good, uh, but they don't have a, a great history either uh, beyond, but you know, at least before that time. But since D Wade's been there, I mean, he he's been good. And then the Dolphins, of course, since '72, have just been been bad for the most part they had some good years but for the most part it, it, it hasn't been great for them either so and it's just the comparison I mean if you talk to Philadelphia sports fans and say oh well Miami's doing better than you guys I mean that's just it's insulting no one even cares 13 down here. teams 13 there are 13 cities sorry Is I didn't in, think it was going to be this easy to look up 13 does, cities <laughs> have all four sports does that include Los Angeles or no yeah the Wikipedia updates almost immediately of course it has Los Angeles right yeah they got some. They have some uh, interesting ones. I never would have thought that uh, Minneapolis has five. Uh, I mean, now that I think of it, it does. But it want to come to the top of my head. Also, Phoenix uh, also has four teams. Wait, Minneapolis has how many teams? Four. Oh, okay. sorry. I think it says five. Yeah, I was. I was okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, they got four. Yeah, Phoenix. I mean, I guess Glendale's close enough. I, I don't really know the location of that, and I'm sure they count Boston. Even though the Patriots play in Foxborough, probably. Um, yeah, they, they they count uh, Boston. It's Boston, Chicago, Dallas. Um, they count the Texas Rangers, um, and I mean both them and the Cowboys play in Arlington, uh, Denver, Detroit, Los Angeles, Miami, Minneapolis. Uh, even though the Wild play in St. Paul, they still count it. Uh, New York, even though their teams play in New Jersey. Uh, Philadelphia, Phoenix, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. Yeah, I mean, if you name some of those cities, it's the fact that Philadelphia is behind them in sports. It's just, it hurts. It hurts my feelings. Um, <laughs> but that's the reality that we're in right now, and it's just it's grim. Um, but hopefully, you know, if we're still doing this in a couple of years. We'll be talking about uh, – we'll be laughing back at, at this uh, podcast, thinking about how – how we were hopeful and and hopefully it, it we're happy because it came to fruition. I mean that's that's where we're at in Philadelphia sports. I mean we we just have to kind of close our eyes and just hope that you know these young guys that we have on a couple of different teams you know pan out. Let's hope that we're looking back to this and laughing. Let's just hope <laughs> rather than just listening and saying that everything came true and no no teams ever got better. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I and and I think um, I think. As far as championships championships go, it's going to be a long time, um, you know, unless the Flyers. Who's the next team you think they'll win? I think right now, like we talked about, I think the Flyers, even even right now and in the short term future, have the best chance because I think I think it's the wackiness of the NHL that makes me say that. Like I said, getting in is everything in the NHL because um, wacky stuff happens. And if you have hot goaltending, you know, you can you can get there and you can you can win it all. And I think. The Flyers, that's why if the Flyers are decent, they'll always have the best chance. Um, but if I had to bet on a team, I would say, this is crazy to say. I would say the Eagles. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the pressure on them. Um, so, like, 
they they can't like there's there's a patience with the Sixers. There's a patience right now with the Phillies. Even if the Flyers were rebuilding, there'd be patience with them. But like, there's no patience with the Eagles. Um, we're not we're not willing to wait around on the Eagles. So they're always going to be if they're not good, they're going to be good very soon. I mean, we've had losing seasons, but I'd have to look at this. But I don't think we've had consecutive losing seasons in well over a decade. Um, now we might have followed up a four and twelve with an eight and eight or something like that, but um, we've always been decent for a majority of the of this of this time, and I think that they're always going to be most years, like three quarters of the years at least, they'll be good. Where I can't say that for the rest of the franchises, and I guess a part of me also wants it to be them because I think the city does, and I, I would just be amazing. It's going to be the Sixers twenty twenty. Philadelphia Sixers are NBA champions with Tom Maker and Ben Simmons. 2020 is going to be a a good year. Uh, Embiid is going to win MVP. Simmons is going to average like 25 a game. And Okafor is going to get 15 rebounds a game. And Noel is going to block like five shots. Simmons averages 25 and Embiid's still the MVP. I'll take that. Yeah, it's it's not even going to be close. And I hope you play somebody like I want to play a, a historic frame. I want to play like the Lakers and just sweep them, something like that. Um, but twenty. Kobe, Kobe's still playing. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll be coaching, but he'll be uh, he'll be just screaming about how his whole team sucks and he needs more talent, uh, even though they're in the NBA Finals. But uh, in twenty twenty is going to be a good year because the Phillies are going to get Mike Trout, so they'll also be either in the World Series that year or be winning it the next year. And the Eagles will have who knows who the next great quarterback in a couple of years. So it's good. It'll be good. Um, Christian Hackenberg, right? Yeah, probably not Christian Hackenberg. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about him, but we'll we'll see what what comes. Um, well, O'Brien's going to draft him because one, the Texans need a quarterback, and yeah, and he and he likes Hackenberg, so he's going to Houston. Houston's really good. They they have a really good team. Um, I heard some rumors they might let Foster go. Uh, I guess the money versus injuries thing is motivating that, but um, I think they're underestimating Foster's talent because uh, their backup running backs can't do squat, and I mean squat. So uh, I don't. I think Alfred I, Blue. Alfred Blue. Yeah, he's horrible. So I mean, Chris Polk, man, former Eagle, also horrible. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Hackenberg's even decent, because their quarterbacks have been bad, they're going to be good. And uh, I think that DeAndre Hopkins is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Everyone talks about all these great receivers. Calvin Johnson, even though he's on the decline now, Antonio Brown, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, there's probably one more that I'm missing. And then nobody talks about DeAndre Hopkins. This guy might, I would argue, might have the most talent out of all those guys. He put up numbers this year that are unbelievable, and he has nobody throwing the ball. As much as I hate Eli Manning, he's a decent quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger this year put up fantastic numbers. Uh, he's a great quarterback. So these other guys have people throwing it to them. But for what DeAndre did in a lot of double-team situations, all the touchdowns and catches, uh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, anybody could throw the ball to this guy. So they get a half-decent uh, quarterback. They're, they're, they're going to be very good. They'll probably win 10 games at least next year because that defense is really good also. Yeah, I think you left a guy named Julio off that list. That yeah, that's that's who, yeah, that's who it was. Again, though, but, this is this is the point about this, um, and I think we've talked about this in a different podcast. It's the targets thing. 
You know what I mean? It's all about targets. You know, you yeah. can't get numbers if the ball's not thrown your way. Antonio Brown broke the record, I think, for back-to-back seasons, most catches in a two-season span. And he yeah. almost had 200 targets this year. 200 almost. That's how you get those kind of numbers. You throw the ball in the direction of the receiver. Yeah, and uh, I looked at this the other day. You are talking about DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, and Martavis Bryant were all on Clemson at the same time. Yeah, um, but guess what? Guess what they couldn't do? Guess they what they? Beat South that's Carolina, right. Probably, right. That's right. Yeah, they couldn't do but that. So that year, uh, I think Bryant was only a sophomore, and he had 300 yards receiving on 10 catches. Wow. So he averaged 30 yards a catch. Yeah, I mean, so that's he, pretty good for for the third. That's not team. that's not bad. That's not bad. It's not too shabby. Yeah, no, I mean, he was a deep threat kind of guy. I'm sure, most of those plays, if not all of them, are probably deep balls, or possibly because of his speed, they might have been screen plays. I'm not exactly sure. I don't follow ACC football you don't follow teams. Clemson well, I can't game? say that now. I follow the Canes, but I yeah, no, Clemson. You know, I, listen, <laughs> you want to talk about. You know, not enjoying watching a, a sporting event. I couldn't have had less fun watching the national championship game until the very end when yeah, Alabama. They lost. Away. Yeah, I know, but they were right there the whole time. I'm sitting there sweating. Uh, if Clemson wins, it's a nightmare. Um, the things, the ignorance that will 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 follow from that. Oh, no, I, I couldn't have it. And um, as a South Carolina fan, it was horrible to watch because Al- Alabama and Clemson were going back and forth and. Just them being close to winning just was too much for me. But I was very happy at the end. I, I went to sleep very happy that night. That's for sure. Well, I know, I know you're a big fan of Dabo, so, I mean, he <laughs> probably had some nightmares when he went to sleep. That, yeah, he's but... um, he's something. <laughs> Clemson, Clemson will be back, and uh, South Carolina needs to uh, get a, who, who is the coach? Did they sign another coach? Yes, they got Will Muschamp, who is the former coach of Florida oh, and the right. defensive coordinator at Auburn. Um, another right. not-so-inspiring hire. But a lot of people pointed out, uh, I think Nick Saban, uh, I don't know if it was Spurrier, a couple other big-time coaches uh, didn't do too well at their first jobs. Um, Belichick was probably thrown in there, even though he's in the NFL. So, you know, it's a possibility. I do like one thing about him. He's, that, he's got that football-y thing. He's crazy. He's a little insane, maybe a little bit too much, but I like his attitude and his style. Uh, he's all about hitting people in the mouth. He's all about being fired up. Uh, that was one biggest criticisms I had for Steve Spurrier. We lost a lot of games when we weren't playing under the lights, or we played it very poorly against a lot of teams who weren't playing under the lights. Um, that was one thing he didn't do well as a coach was get guys fired up, and that's not something I'm worried about with Muschamp. But, um, yeah, you mentioned Clemson. I hate to talk about them, but this kid that got a quarterback is cannot be – you can't underestimate his talent. Um, he should have been second in the Heisman behind McCaffrey. Um, he is a one-man wrecking ball. Um, it's unbelievable. I am scared at what he's going to do to South Carolina next year. Uh, they're going to rip through the ACC. I could see them back in that same position next year, maybe even winning it all. But he just has to stay healthy. That's the key for them. Um, he is well, I, unbelievable. I disagree that he should have been second in the Heisman behind McCaffrey because I think Leonard Fournette should have won it. You think Fournette should have won it over McCaffrey? Yes. No, come on, man. Do you know how many wins LSU have had without Leonard Fournette? Okay. All they did was give him a ball every play. Okay, but he had a couple real stinker games. He had most of his yeah, big... because they had no passing games. Okay, but also a lot of his big-time running games were against not-so-great teams. The thing about McCaffrey that, that I think makes him the Heisman, and I'm with you in this debate, um, 
here. And what's funny about this is neither of us are talking about Derek Henry. We're talking about three different people, and none of them is the actual winner, which is why the whole thing is just a sham anyway. But McCaffrey, what I like about McCaffrey is his ability to do so much. And uh, I think he had... I don't know if he broke the NCAA all-purpose. Yes, he did. He did break the NCAA all-purpose yard record, and that was held, his record was held by, I'm going to have to look this up, but uh, a big-time college player, one of the best of all time. The record stood for like 20-some years. That kid is something oh, else. Oh, Sanders, wasn't it? I don't know. But, oh, okay. Well. I'll look it up. But um, but my point is, you could make the same argument with, with McCaffrey. Okay, Stanford is not the same team when he's not on the football field. They're not even close. And they were a very good team this year. That, did you see that interview after uh, their bowl game? Uh, where they were interviewing McCaffrey, and the guy behind him just kept yelling Heisman. Yeah. Of course, it was already after he lost the Heisman. But uh, McCaffrey was just trying to do this interview, and the guy behind him just kept yelling Heisman. Yeah. It was hilarious. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. Um, Okay, on here, on, I'm on football reference, and it says that Barry Sanders still has the most all-purpose yards in his season. This is his 1988 season. He had 3,250. So I am going to... McCaffrey had 3864 this year. Wow. So he beat it by 600 yards? In 14 games. Up. So. Okay, okay. Sanders probably, probably only played about twelve, right? Let me look this up. Oh no, this is nineteen. Hold on. Let me see if I can get I mean, a link. Now to Now they that. have an extra game, um, and and so I mean they have. I don't know if it's okay. two games or one game. But in either ni- way, he definitely played more games. Nineteen eighty-eight. They they went they they went ten and two. Who's that? Oklahoma State. Yeah. So that means they only played twelve games. 12 games, yeah. So, I mean, even if he played 14 games at that pace, uh, he wouldn't have. Uh, McCaffrey would still have more yards. But, I mean, just saying it was 600 more, more yards is a little. Yes, you're right. Uh, I, I, you're right. I, misleading. Yes, it is. You're right. You're totally right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the I point usually, of. I usually am, so it's fine. Okay, well. That's debatable, but uh, we're just going to let that one slide. Uh, the, my point is that this we're talking about Barry Sanders. Uh, Barry freaking Sanders. That's the record he He's broke. He's pretty good, right? He was okay in college, yes. Yeah. Um, so, so he had like a decent career. Yes. Again, he was okay. But uh, it's, you know, that that's what I'm saying. It's just, um, it's just, I, I don't know. That that's, the, that's my argument with him. But, yes, I mean, it depends on the way you look at it. In, in an MVP-type way, maybe it's Fournette. But I just think what Christian McCaffrey did and brought to a football team, it's just, I think we can both agree that, that, we don't agree. I mean, we could. We should do this. I'm going to propose this right now. I don't know if we we have done this, but we should go back and look at the college seasons and pick, at least over the past five, six seasons, at least back to my ultimate argument about the Honey Badger um, and, and go back and, and say who should probably have won Heisman because I think it's, it's a political thing. And I get part of it is um, uh, outside of football, what you do outside of football, but um, I don't know. I mean, what? Well, I think you just decided uh, what our next podcast is going to be about. Okay. That sounds good to me. I'm excited um, to rant for like 20 minutes about how Honey Badger should have been by far and away the Heisman. So, <laughs> I probably won't argue with you. So, all right. Well, in uh, in light of the fact that uh, the NFL playoffs are coming on uh, shortly here, we should probably wrap this up. Uh, I've had a lot of fun, even though we've talked about uh, a bunch of. 
Well, I should accept the Flyers, I suppose, but a bunch of average to way, way less than average, including two teams with the worst record in their individual sports teams, which is the this conversation in Philadelphia right now with our teams, and it's a very sad one, but I had a lot of fun talking about it, and it's, it's nice to dream about the future. It sucks that we can't dream about uh, what's going on right now and hope for this season, but... Um, Again, maybe with the Flyers if they make it. And other than that, you know, it's just going to be a long road, I think. And hopefully, like we said, you know, maybe by 2020, uh, when we're old and gray, they will, uh, a team will break through and, and win a title again. Joel Embiid and Mike Trout all the way. There we go. All right, well, um, this has been the latest edition of the Pick and Roll Podcast. We uh, hope you enjoyed it, even though it was uh, centered on Philadelphia sports. Uh, hopefully, I think we'll do a new podcast soon, and I think we decided on our topic, which we'll be going back through some of the uh, Heisman Trophy winners and deciding whether we think that they were deservingly so or not. Uh, I'm not sure how far back we'll go, but we'll figure it out. So thanks for joining us this time. Um, and for Kevin McLernan, I'm Bill Golden, and thank you for listening.